We talked about as we come out of this pandemic, the thing that God's been putting in my heart is get ready to run. Everybody say, get ready to run. God is going to be accelerating opportunities for your life, for your career, for your business. But if you're going to take advantage of that, you have to get ready. You have to what? So we talked about getting ready. We've talked about now for several weeks how to run the race. As we continue looking at how to run the race of life and how to fulfill God's purpose in our lives, we're going to have to look at something difficult. And that's the fact that as you run this race, there are vipers along the way. There are cobras along the racetrack. All these good works that God has laid out for us in advance to do, we need to understand as we run this race. There are dangers out there. We cannot feel and fool ourselves that as we do God's will and as we work toward accomplishing the good works God has laid out for us in advance, as we continue to fulfill God's purpose in our life, that everything is going to be easy and it's going to be like walking through a beautiful garden on a nice, cool, sunshiny day with clear skies and all you can do is smell the scent of roses in the air and everything is wonderful and you hear the flapping of the angel's wings. It's not like that. There are real dangers out there. And if we're going to run the race and we're going to finish the race that God has for us in life like Paul did, we're going to have to face some of the dangers. Now, the first one of these dangers, and I want to walk you through four of them. The first one of these dangers is the dangers of false persuasion. Everybody say, false influencers. Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach, well, we can stop there. Everybody say, false persuasion. There are going to be people who will insert themselves in your life and persuade you to do something different than what you're doing. And please forgive me if I use the word influencers because that's the word all the young people use today. Everybody wants to be an influencer. And people want to insert themselves in our lives and influence us. Now the danger is these people insert themselves in our lives not when things are going bad because they want to help us. They insert themselves in our lives when we're doing well. He says in verse 7, you were running well. The Greek word there, kalos, means correctly, splendidly, commendably, in a manner free from objection. These influencers that want to come into our life, they don't want to come into our life when we need help. They want to come into our life when we're doing splendidly, everybody say splendidly. I mean, we're really making progress. We're accomplishing what God has for us to do in our lives. We're fulfilling the purpose that God has for our lives. We're achieving the plan that God has for our lives. And, and here comes these people influencing us, inserting themselves in our lives. These are the kind of people who ignore people in trouble. They have no desire to, to be involved in failure. They want to associate themselves with people 
that are being successful. They want to insert themselves in the lives of people who are being successful. But Paul said this persuasion, and the Greek word there, pesmone, literally means this means of convincing, this influence, this solicitation, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Everybody say, not from God. Say it again, please. This isn't God trying to, to stop what's being accomplished. This isn't God stepping in and speaking to your life. This is not from God. Now, their purpose, if you look there in verse 7, their purpose, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now, that, that, whole, that whole sentence there is just, that whole question there is powerful. The Greek word for hinder, ekopto, literally means to hinder, to thwart, to prevent progress to stop the accomplishment of. He said, these people who insert themselves into your life that are not from God, attempting to influence you, are trying to stop the accomplishment of something. What is that? Your obedience to truth. Now, the Greek word here for obedience is also fascinating. It means to be convinced of and persuaded of. Truth, aletheia, it means reality. He said, God has persuaded you. God has convinced you of the plan he has for your life. God has convinced you of the reality of your destiny. And now you're doing wonderful. You've gotten born again. You're saved by faith. You've accepted the grace of God in your life. You're moving forward with the plan and the destiny that God has for your life. And now all of a sudden, here comes this person inserting themselves into your life. And their whole purpose is to stop the accomplishment, to stop the progress of your being convinced of the reality of what God has for your life. Unfortunately, it's not just something that happens and goes away. He continues in Galatians 5 verse 9 and describes what they do. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He said, these words of persuasion, these, these words of influence that they brought into your life, when things were going great because they want to hinder you, they want to stop your progress, stop your accomplishment of obeying the truth. He said, their words are like yeast. They're like what? They work their way through everything. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. In Matthew 16, verses 11 to 12, Jesus teaches us, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that leaven there literally means their teaching. Everybody say, their teaching. He said, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The words. Words get into your heart. Words get into your mind. Words of influence get into your thinking. And these things grow. Everybody say, they grow. Say it again. Now look at the picture with me of this great danger. You're moving forward into what God wants you to do in your life. Things are going well. You're doing splendidly. And then some person, and this is always a person, can't blame this on demons. There's a person. They call you on the phone. They instant message you. 
They Facebook messenger you. And they start putting words into you. And those words have one thing in common. They want to stop the progress of your life. Everybody say, stop the progress. Say it again. But they're words. They're the kind of words that, they're not like other words. They're the kind of words that grow in you. They're the kind of words that grow and affect every decision. They're the kind of words that grow in you and affect all of your thought patterns. Until finally Paul says in verse 10, he said, they're troubling you. Everybody say troubling. New Living Translation says they're confusing you. Verse 12, New Internet, or ESV says they're unsettling you. Everybody say unsettling me. Their words grow in you until you're confused and unsettled. Everybody say, I'm torn up inside. I don't know what to do. I want to take a rest. I want to take a break. I don't know what to do. My insides are mogulo. You're unsettled on the insides. You're confused in your mind. And it all started with that one phone call, with that one email, with that one merienda of someone who sat down with you and began to influence you. They have no desire for you to successfully accomplish God's will for your life. They have no desire in any way, shape, or form to help you be more for God. Their only desire is to stop the progress and stop the accomplishment of your life. And this is a danger that we must watch out for. Everybody say, the danger of bad influencers. The second danger, the danger of weariness. Now Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 30, even the youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. You and I have to understand that as we run the race of life, weariness is a danger. Now please forgive me, but weariness is not a sin. There are people that are just worn out and they somehow think that being worn out is a sin. No, no, even young people get worn out. EJ and Pastor A have a dog. It's an Australian shepherd. Honestly, I've been around dogs since I was born. I've never met a dog this smart. I've never met, never met a dog this loving. And I've never met a dog this makulit in my whole life. It's like this dog doesn't ever stop. It never gets tired. But once in a while, you'll finally see the dog just go, Wah! and you go, thank God, peace. Folks, everybody, even that dog, gets tired. Everybody grows weary. Now let me just walk you through some scriptures on this. Weariness struck Moses when the people of Israel were in a battle. Exodus 8, 17, verse 12. But Moses' hands grew weary. Joshua is out fighting. Joshua is leading the army. Moses is sitting on a hill overlooking it. And as he lifts his hands in worship to God, they have the victory. When his hands come down, they start getting defeated. Now please forgive me. Even the dancer's arms get tired. 
Dancers, how long can you keep your arms up? Even they're going to get tired sooner or later. How many of you have ever had your hands up worshiping the Lord and your arms were tired and you put them down? Eat that someone come on. Yeah. His arms got tired. So what did they do? The next generation had an idea. They took a stone and put it under him, verse 12, and he sat on it while Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So here are other leaders standing with him and said, we will help you in the middle of your weariness. They didn't condemn him because he was human and growing weary. They stood there and they held his arms up for him. You look at Moses, you look at King David, 2 Samuel 21, verses 15 through 17. There was a war again between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down together with the servants, and they fought against the Philistines. And David grew weary. Now, David was an incredible warrior. I mean, this is the guy that kills Goliath with a slingshot. But now look at as he got older. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants. Remember, these are the same Philistines that had Goliath. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze and who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. Another translation says, corner David to kill him. But if you look in verse 17, Abishah, his nephew, comes along. Here comes the next generation. They said, David, you killed the giants of your generation when you were young. David, this giant's going to kill you. So I'm going to come as the new generation, and I'm going to kill the giants of my generation. I've looked at some of the young pastors over the last few years, and I said, you know, right now I'm really strong. I said, but there may be a time when giants attack us again. And you're going to have to understand, I don't have the strength I had when I was 23, 24, 25 years old. And some of you young ones are going to have to come along and help me with your strength. You don't look down upon somebody because they get weary. You help in Jesus' name. Jesus got weary. John 4, verse 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. They had just walked up from the Jordan River Valley, up the side of a mountain to get to this Samaritan woman's village. Yeah, Jesus was weary. Climbing up a mountain will get you weary. We don't condemn Jesus because he got physically weary. Weariness can happen in every believer's life. Young people, Ecclesiastes 12 verse 2, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. Have you ever sat up all night studying for final exams? Were you weary? Yeah, a much study is weariness. Weariness can come from doing all the right things in life. Galatians 6, verse 9, and let us not grow weary in doing good. 2 Thessalonians 3, 13, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Weariness can come to our life. You say, well, okay, pastor, how do I overcome this danger of weariness? You have to know how to catch your second wind. Everybody say, my second wind. When I was in high school, I played football. And one of the things the coach did to us is he made us run around the football field. I mean, we opened every practice with laps, and we closed every practice with more laps. And we all used to hate it 
And if you opened your mouth and said anything, you got five more. But I was amazed when I started doing that. Because I've been smoking from the time I was 12 years old. And now I'm playing football in high school. And when I first started running laps, when you've been smoking for years, you can't breathe very well. But I was amazed after a few months of running laps around that crazy field. I was running down the street where my parents lived one day, 14 years old, running down the street. And all of a sudden, I was tired. And then it's like second wind. And I took, took off even faster. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It doesn't come on. Everybody says second wind. Everybody who's ever done any running understands second wind. How do you get your second wind when weariness hits you? Number one, you have to learn to run with joy. Psalms chapter 19 verse 5, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Like a strong man. Now notice, even a strong man is going to get weary. So they have to run the course with joy. Everybody say, run the course with joy. Why? Nehemiah 8 verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your... Now, now please forgive me, folks, but some of you... You believe the world when they tell you that you're depressed. Sister Bev was just telling me about an article she read in a Christian leadership magazine about how TikTok is designed to depress young people, to keep them addicted. Facebook is the same way. Forgive me. Some of you, you'll feel so much better if you quit Facebook. Are we still here? Are we still here? But the world tells you that you're depressed. The world tells you to be sad. Sometimes I tell Sister Beth, I, I was listening to this new Christian song, and it's written by a very famous group. And you know what? The words are wonderful. But the way they sing it could depress Jesus. Oh, God, you're good. Oh, God. It sounds like they're having constipation while they're singing. And you just look at it and go, where's the joy? There's no joy on their faces. They, they look like just, oh, I mean, they look like a face of a constipated person. You know what I'm talking about. Where's the joy? In Israel's day, people said, sing us the songs of Zion. Sing us those songs of joy. Now, beloved, some of you, you just need to get up in the morning and decide, I'm going to run the race of life with joy in Jesus' name. I'm not depressed. I'm full of joy in Jesus' name. Get up in the morning. Don't listen to the news. I mean, the news. You get up and put the news on in the morning, it can depress Jesus. The news is so bad, it makes the dog cry. I mean, grab it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You get up and, oh my goodness, Canada has declared martial law. Wah! There's going to be war in the Ukraine. Wah! Get up. Put on some happy worship. Everybody say, happy worship. Say it again. I like to get up and sing, 
Jesus is alive, my heart is full, hallelujah. Happy music. Dance before the Lord a little bit. Are we still here? Read your Bible. Let God's presence, in his presence there is fullness of? Decide I'm going to run the race with joy. I don't care how strong you are, the strong man still runs the race with joy. Secondly, you get your second win by holding fast to the word of life. Philippians chapter 2 verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life so that on the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, what or who is the word of life? It's Jesus. John chapter 1. In him, everybody say Jesus. Say it again. Jesus is the word. Everybody say Jesus is the word. Look there in John 1. My brain just went blank on quoting the verse, and I've been quoting it all day. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everybody say, Jesus is the Word. He's also the life. He's also the what? John 1 verse 4. In Him was the Word. Everybody say, in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, before you think this is strange, holding fast unto Jesus, remember with me, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their, Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31. Every morning, get up, sing some happy worship. Dance before the Lord. Read your Bible. Pray. Hold on to Jesus. Wait upon the Lord. And you shall renew your strength. And everybody said? Can I teach you a little bit more? Thirdly, we must run the race with confirmed revelation knowledge. Confirmed revelation knowledge. Now, remember with me that Paul said he was like an apostle untimely born. After Paul got saved, he went out to the deserts of Araba. And for three years, Paul tells us that he was taught by direct revelation the gospel. Jesus appeared to him and taught him the gospel. Now, when he'd finished that three years of training, Galatians 2 verse 2, he says... I went up because of the revelation, and I set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, when Paul writes the book of Galatians, he's writing while he's in the city of Antioch of Assyria. He's writing after the end of his first trip up to the Galatian plateau. And he's gotten all these people saved. And as soon as he gets back, these Judaizers from Jerusalem go up there and mess up all the work that he's done. So he writes to them about this. And he said, now listen, 
I've already presented the gospel to the apostles in Jerusalem. I've already presented what I believed Jesus taught me to the apostles in Jerusalem because I did not want to run the race in vain. Now, in a few weeks after this, he goes up with Barnabas to Jerusalem for the Council of Acts 15, and they lay out, yes, we are saved by faith. And everybody said? And everybody said? But I want you to notice the principle here. Paul submitted himself to those in spiritual authority over his life. He said, this is what I believe God wants me to do. So I'm going to sit down with these apostles in Jerusalem, and I'm going to talk to them about this. Now, beloved, I meet many young people today and many Christians today, and they believe that God has spoken to them. And they might talk to their friends about it. They might even talk to their family about it, people who won't disagree with them. But that's not how you stay safe running the race. That's not how you overcome the danger of wrong, everybody say, wrong ideas. Sometimes, please forgive me, beloved, sometimes you just ate too much balut. Sometimes you ate too much pizza with Tabasco sauce on top. Sometimes your vision, sometimes your dream, forgive me, is just nonsense. And what you have to learn to do is when you believe that God has spoken to you, you don't just talk to family and friends and everybody who will agree with you. You come sit down with people that God has placed in spiritual authority over your life and say, listen, I want to make sure I've got this right. Now, if you come to me, the first thing I'll tell you is, number one, my name's not Jesus and I can't tell you what to do. But then the second thing I will tell you is, show it to me in the Word. Show it to me in the Word. If you can't show me what God is telling you to do in the Word, I don't buy it. Are we still here? Are we still here? Now, if you really want to be successful and you want to do what God wants you to do in life, then there's no reason you can't sit down with people that God has placed in spiritual authority over your life and say, listen, this is what I believe God is speaking to me, and let them say, let's go to the Word together so that you don't run in vain. Fourthly, as we run the race, we must avoid the pitfall of forgetting the rules. Everybody say, forgetting the rules. Now, Paul was a great teacher of grace, but Paul also understood there are rules. There are what? 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, this is my rule in all the churches. Galatians 6, verse 16, as for all who walk by this rule, 1 Timothy 5, verse 21, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging and doing nothing from partiality. Why? Because as he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.12, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, beloved, sorry, but there are rules in the Christian life. I, I didn't hear you. It's not just what you accomplish. It's did you accomplish it by the rules. Right now in, in China, we've read all the things about the Olympics, and there are people who have trained their entire life, and they should be walking home with gold medals and silver medals, but they don't get those gold medals. They don't get those silver medals. They don't get crowned because they did drug testing, 
They didn't compete according to the? According to the what? Now, the same thing is true in our lives. All the things that God has given you to accomplish, it matters how you do it. Did you hear what I just said? How you do things matter. It's not just, you know, the only thing that counts is that we win. No. The only thing that counts is that we reach our goal. No. You've done it according to the rules. Now, it's become very popular for people to say, you know, I love Jesus, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not part of the church because there are too many rules. There's too many bowels. Well, please forgive me, but what did Jesus say? John 14, verse 15. John 14, verse 21. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, there are things Jesus said to do. Everybody say, there are, Jesus made rules. So don't tell me, well, I love Jesus. I just don't like any rules. Well, then you don't love Jesus. Because if you love Jesus, you keep his rules. I, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. Now, I, I've been your pastor for over 40 years. And I've watched people that reach their goal. And you know what? I really believe it was a God-given goal. But the way they reached the goal wasn't right. And when they looked around, everything fell apart. If you want the prize, you obey the rules in Jesus' name. Winning is not everything. Winning the right way is the way to do things. Did you learn something today? Would you stand with me, please? In a few weeks, we'll be down to level one. We'll be able to lay hands on people and give altar calls and have revival nights and do all the things that we love to do. But there is one thing that we have learned, maybe more than we've ever learned it in our life during this COVID thing. Every single sermon, every single part of our life ties back to what Jesus did on the cross. Would you take your communion emblems, please? Did you notice Jesus didn't cheat on the cross? <laughs> Forgive me, he could have healed himself. He could have just reached around and touched his back and been healed. He could have touched the wounds on his head and been healed. He could have cheated. <laughs> but he had to suffer. His sufferings are what brought healing to us. Did you understand what I just said? I mean, Jesus is God. He could have cheated. Instead of walking up that mountain that he grew weary, he could have just said, and been there. But he walked up the mountain. He could have cheated. But he competed in the race of life according to the rules 
according to the what? Sometimes you, you just need to let your brain think. Just run free. And remember that Jesus was fully man and fully God. You know, forgive me, he could have just, I, I, I think I want to walk on gold all the time, so I'm just going to make the ground in front of me turn gold as I walk. Just meh. You know, like that old Wizard of Oz movie where the road just turns gold in front of you? It could have just turned gold in front of him. But Jesus knew the will of the Father. He knew what the Father wanted him to do, and he knew how it had to be done. It takes both, brothers and sisters. Ulikinatan, this bread represents his body, broken for me. He suffered to bring healing to my life. He suffered to take the punishment of all my sins. I remember what Jesus did for me. Let us partake of the bread together. Ulitanatan, this cup represents the blood of my Savior. Washes away all the shame, all the sin that has separated me from God and brings me near to hear the voice of the Father, to be led by Him in life, to understand His will. To serve him with a conscience that has been cleansed from acts that lead to death. I remember what his blood has done for me. Let us partake of the cup together. from home, and please I don't say this critically, but I am your pastor, and sometimes I have to say things that need to be said. If you're still listening from home, go back and listen to the sermon from last night on you need to be in God's house, and everybody said, oh, pastor, can't come to church, it's not safe. Have you been to the shopping mall? Yes. Have you been eating in a restaurant? Yes. Have you gone to the movies? Yes. But it's not safe to come to God's house? Let's stop the excuses, everybody. 
It's time to get our lives moving the way they're supposed to be moving again. And everybody shouted.